Today we're going to be working our way through the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, and we're going to be using that as our framework for looking at the, the Resurrection Sunday. It's really a chapter about this day in history. This uh, picture is of the garden tomb, the most likely actual tomb of Jesus, and it's found just outside the, the old city of Jerusalem. Let's begin to read from verse 1 of John 20. Early on the first day of the week, which is of course a Sunday, the Sabbath is the end of the week, the day of rest, the Saturday. Early on the first day of the week, Sunday, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Well, the first character we're introduced to in, in today's story is Mary Magdalene. And uh, she's a very interesting woman. We, we know that there are three Marys that feature in Scripture. There's the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary, who is Lazarus's sister, also together with Martha. And then there's Mary Magdalene. And we know from Luke chapter 8 that she had quite a background. Uh, Luke tells us this Mary called Magdalene had had seven demons come out of her. So she was obviously in quite a mess at some point in her life. You know, you don't have seven evil spirits residing in you and, and kind of live a normal life. She would have been very depressed, engaging in all sorts of terrible behaviors, destructive behaviors and the like. But Jesus saved this woman, and she's actually mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, which is way more than most of the disciples get a mention. So Mary Magdalene really is, is quite something. That's who she is. And she goes down early because they wanted to do proper job of embalming Jesus. Because the Sabbath had come on the Friday night, they'd had to do a quick rushed job and just put the body in the tomb but they were going early now on the Sunday morning to properly embalm Jesus and Mary is the first person to arrive at the tomb and to discover that Jesus is not there her assumption is not that Jesus has risen from the dead her assumption is that someone has taken the body of Jesus and so she's frantic, and in verse 2, she runs back to where she knows some of the disciples are living, and she finds Simon, who was kind of the ringleader, and she finds this disciple Jesus loved, that is most likely John. And she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, we don't know where they've put him. And so off they go. And here we know that Peter would have run the half marathon and John the full, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. He was much fitter. He reached the tomb first. John bends over and he looks in at the strips of linen, linen lying there, but he does not go in. He does not go in. John then arrives. Oh, sorry, Simon, no, Simon Peter then arrives. He was behind him and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that was around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And that's a little picture of inside 
the garden too. That's what they see, but obviously the grave clothes that have temporarily been put around Jesus as the initial embalming are just kind of lying there. It's though the body has just disappeared and left the wrappings right where they were. But Jesus, being neat and precise, has folded up his headpiece, and it's, it's neatly there. Verse 8, finally the other disciple, Peter was always the gung-ho one, so he goes straight into the tomb, looks around, isn't really convinced that Jesus has been risen from the dead, by the way. But the other disciple, John, he saw and he believed. They still did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is very significant, these words. It's about the Apostle John. He saw and believed. And I believe that John was the first ever person to become a Christian. And the reason for that is that Romans 10, Paul's describing what a Christian is. And he says, a Christian is a person who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, it's not a secret thing. They're, they're open about the fact that Jesus is, is their Lord and that he is the Lord. And a Christian is someone who believes in their heart that God has raised him from the dead. You see how Paul defines what a Christian is. And so it is the Apostle John, in my view, who becomes the first ever Christian. Because he looks into the tomb and he sees those grave clothes where a body has vanished, passed through. He just looks at that and we're told he believes. He saw and he believed. It's interesting for me the threshold of evidence that's required for different people to believe. John just has to see an empty tomb and the grave clothes, and he believes. Mary Magdalene sees everything that everybody else sees, the empty tomb, the grave clothes, but she doesn't believe. She, her assumption is the body has been taken. By the way, Peter also doesn't believe. <coughs> we read in, in Luke 24 verse 12 that Peter went home wondering to himself what had happened. So Peter's kind of, hmm, that's very strange. I wonder what has happened. Finally, the other disciple, he saw and believed. I want to focus in on verse 9, because this is fascinating to me. When I was preparing this message today, this was the part of this whole passage that, that really smacked me and that spoke to me powerfully. The Bible says in verse 9, they still did not understand from the Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. You see that there? This is very interesting. What should have been the grounds of belief, the reason for faith that Jesus had been resurrected? Because the way this passage is written, it, it seems to indicate they didn't get it because they didn't understand from the scriptures that Jesus was going to be resurrected. 
It doesn't say, gee, they should have remembered all that stuff Jesus had told them, like in Matthew 16, when he got into an argument with Peter, when he was saying, look, I'm going to be killed, but on the third day I'm going to rise again. And Peter says, no, never, Lord, I'm not going to allow that. So Peter should have known that Jesus was going to rise again because he's, he's, he's had a discussion with Jesus about it, but he only heard what he wanted to hear. John 10, Jesus had explained to the disciples, I'm like a good shepherd who, who sacrifices himself or puts his life on the line for the sheep, but I'm going to lay my life down and I'm going to take it up again. They should have remembered all the teaching in the temple that caused such a hullabaloo when Jesus had said, you see this temple here, tear it down and I'm going to raise it up again in three days. And people were like, well, what do you mean you're going to tear down the temple? That's terrible. You're a heretic. We don't like you. They should have remembered that Jesus was talking about his body. Tear down this temple and in three days it's going to be raised up again. But the Bible doesn't say bad disciples. They should have remembered all the things Jesus had told them. It says they still didn't understand from the scriptures that Jesus should have been raised again. They didn't remember what Jesus had said about the sign of Jonah, that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. They didn't remember the stuff Jesus had told them. So where are these scriptures that should have led the disciples to expect that Jesus would be resurrected? And what I found really amazing is just how high Jesus' expectations of his disciples were. Jesus really expected them to know from the scriptures that he'd be, he'd be rising again. And even with hindsight, as we painstakingly go through the Old Testament, try to find, well, where are these verses? Where are these parts of the Old Testament that tell us Jesus is going to be resurrected? Well, they're hard to find. And they're very cryptic. That shows how careful we need to be when we're studying our Bibles. Obviously, Isaiah 53 is such a passage, but it's cryptic. The resurrection is hidden away in, in a little section of verse 11. Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus and his suffering and how he was rejected by people, how he was marred, how he was forsaken. People considered him as forsaken by God, how he was wounded and, and pierced. And then there's this little reference to the resurrection. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. If you were one of the old disciples or a saint back in the day, would you have picked that up in your quiet time? <laughs> that Jesus was going to be resurrected? What about Psalm 16? Where is this phrase, verse 10? You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. That apparently is a reference to the resurrection of Christ. What about Hosea? This gets the days right, but it's very cryptic. 
Hosea 6.2, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us. That's a pattern in scripture that the disciples should have tweaked on to. But they didn't understand from the scriptures. And then there's the, the sign of Jonah that I've already mentioned. Again, this theme of the scriptures being the basis for our faith comes out in Jesus' walk on the Emmaus Road, on the road to Emmaus, where on the afternoon of his resurrection, he, he's walking to Emmaus and he meets up with two people who are saying, isn't this terrible what's happened to, to the, these last few days? Remember Jesus, this great teacher whom we thought was going to deliver us from the Romans and he healed people and he taught us about God and now he's dead. How terrible is that? Jesus does not whip open his cloak and say, Ta-da! Look at my side, look at my hands, don't worry guys. What he does is he spends an hour or so explaining from the scriptures that the Messiah should have, will be rising again. Don't, don't you find that absolutely amazing? That even when Jesus is there and people are saying, what's with this Jesus dying? He doesn't say, well, here I am, don't worry. He he expounds for them God's Word, the Old Testament, and shows them from the Scriptures, beginning with Moses, going through the prophets, explaining to them what was said in all the Scriptures about Him. And then they like Jesus so much, they say, why don't you stick around for supper? And He's like, no, no, I need to go to the supper with my disciples. But then he says, oh, all right, I'll have a bite with you anyway. Maybe when you have a resurrected body, you can eat whatever you want and it makes no difference. But during the meal, they say to each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? Again, I find this amazing. Even though they're actually having a meal with Jesus, and he's there in the flesh, in person, they're still getting all excited about the Scriptures, what the Old Testament had to teach about Jesus. Back to John chapter 20. Then the disciples went home. Mary doesn't go home. She sticks around. She's got a job to do. She needs to find this body. She's going to wrap it in spices. Nobody's going to stop her. She's looking around. Where is the body? Can you help me? Do you know where the body is? There are two angels, disguised as usual, sitting in the tomb. So she goes in. Hey, where's the body that was here? They're like, just, just relax, Mary. Why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. Then she turns and she sees someone that she thinks is a gardener. She didn't know it's Jesus. She's got tears in her eyes. She's wearing a veil. Her hair's covering her face. I don't know why she doesn't see it's Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, 
tell me where you've put him so I can get him and put him back in the tomb. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him. It's that vocal cue. She now knows it's Jesus. She cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She's obviously very emotional at this point because she embraces Jesus to the point that she's now restricting his movement. Because he who has been forgiven much loves much. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead and Find my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Again, this is an interesting passage of Scripture. Do you think Jesus in his resurrection body made multiple trips to the Father? Do you think it was only after 40 days that Jesus ascended, or was that just the final ascension? When he's saying here, look, I still need to go to the Father. Did he in his resurrection body, was he able to move in and out of this world and the other world? We don't know, maybe. Mary Magdalene goes back to the other disciples and says, I've seen the Lord. So John is the first believer, the first true Christian. But Mary is the first person to see Jesus alive. After the Emmaus road, Jesus now does meet up with the disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. They're thinking, gee, um, the Romans have already killed Jesus. Um, the Pharisees have done a sham trial on him. Maybe we're next. So they are a little bit frightened, and they're locked away in the upper room. And Jesus just arrives, even though the doors are locked. It was a case of beam me down, Father God. And woof, he's like, boom, in the room there with them. Shalom, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I'm surprised he didn't go into another scripture lesson. But anyway, maybe he did that as well. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And by the way, friends, we are going to have a body just like Jesus' resurrection body. This body that can move in and out of rooms, do crazy stuff. Just, says Paul writing to the Corinthians, as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, these bodies aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. I tell you, in an instant, we will be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. And we will be like Him. So those of you with, with bodies that are sick, who are in pain, you can look forward to, to one day having a new body, to the resurrection of the dead, and to life as it was intended to be. Jesus is the first fruit among all of us Christians, he's the first one to get the humanity 102 upgrade. And now Jesus 
commissions the disciples and he says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. As Jesus left the comfort of heaven and went to this earth with a mission, so Jesus is sending us out of our comfort zones into this world with a mission. We are also sent in this world. I saw a statistic that 51% of American Christians do not know what the Great Commission is. have never heard of it. The Great Commission is this idea that we've been sent by Jesus into the world to make disciples of all nations. Here's Jesus sending the disciples. And he also breathes on them. And says, receive the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Is this John's version of the Pentecost? I think he's telling the disciples, when you hear this whistling noise, you must know that you must receive the Spirit. He's predicting Pentecost. But maybe there's also some kind of impartation happening here. Finally, we get to this very interesting part of this chapter. It's Thomas who is not a believer. He's got a very high threshold for faith. He doesn't easily believe things. I like old Thomas. He's a realist. He's not one of those gullible persons. You know, did you hear they're taking gullible out of the dictionary? Oh, did they? Oh, that's interesting. He, he wasn't that kind of person. He, he was a kind of very... Very kind of realistic, oh, is that so? A little bit skeptical, a little bit cynical. You know, my kind of person. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in the side, I will not believe it. You guys, I know we've lived together for three years and we're the best of friends and we've seen miracles, but you might believe that Jesus is alive, but I don't. That's Thomas. I need to see for myself. This attitude epitomizes people in our generation. They want to see for themselves. They're not going to believe something because you tell them. I like old Thomas. Why we call him Doubting Thomas, I don't know. We need to call him Saint Thomas. He was an excellent guy. He went off to India. Do you know that? He took the gospel to India. That's what tradition tells us. But Thomas is, he's the guy who asks the hard questions. Jesus is giving some teaching about death and don't worry guys, one day uh, you're going to come to where I am. Isn't that great? And Thomas says, no Lord, that's not great. Where are you going? We don't know. That was Thomas. Another time they were all deciding, Jesus, should you go up to Jerusalem? No, bad timing, they'll kill you. Then Thomas is like, okay, well, let's all go with you and also die with you. So he reminds me of Eeyore in the Winnie the Pooh series, uh, but, but pessimistic always, but kind of goes along with what's happening. So that's Thomas. A week later, Jesus shows up again. This time Thomas is there. By the way, you really do miss out sometimes if you're not with everybody else when Jesus shows up. So he missed out, but he's there this time. <laughs> And he says to Thomas, he's not angry with Thomas and his doubts. He says, here, Thomas, if that's the kind of proof you need, put your hands in my, on my hands. And then he says, stop doubting and believe. And that was a, 
possible news headline. What can we learn about Thomas? Um, gee, I've got carried away my notes here. I've no idea where I am. Should I just wing it? No, you wouldn't want that. Um, Phew, wow, I was really talking, wasn't I? Um, (laughs) Phew, wow. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Isn't it great how Jesus responds to Thomas? He's not angry. He understands his, his doubts. And Thomas's reply is, my Lord and my God. Gee, Thomas is really converted at this point. Thomas is now a believer. Friends, doubt is not necessarily a bad thing. Doubt can be a good thing. Doubt makes you question things. So you come out at the end of the process with a firm footing for faith. People that believe in Christianity too easily... When trouble comes, that doesn't help them. Sometimes a faith that's grown out of struggle and doubt is a much better faith. None of the other disciples are saying to Jesus, my Lord and my God. They're going, teacher, rabbi, great, you're back. Thomas the doubter, gee, when he is converted, it's like, my Lord and my God. Here's a nice quote from Voltaire. Not often you hear a verse from him in church. Doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty is absurd. He's making the point that, well, you might not like the fact that you're not always sure about something or that you have doubts, but thinking you can be certain about something, well, that's just madness. And, and so we all live with a measure of doubt. We, we can all struggle with our faith. Do we believe? Don't we believe? That's why Jesus says, Stop doubting and believe, because these are both things that we do. These are both actions that we perform. Faith and doubt don't just happen to us, and we're this passive recipient, and there's a response that magically comes out of me. Either I believe or I doubt. No, these are choices we make. When we look at the evidence, we can either decide the glass is half empty, I don't believe, or sometimes we decide the glass is half full and we choose to believe. Peter and John, when they got to the tomb, they saw the same thing. John believed, Peter didn't. When Mary saw the tomb, she even ran into two angels. She did not believe. Thomas certainly did not believe until he was able to to touch the Lord. And this passage ends like this. Because you've seen me, Thomas, you have believed. And that's good. But blessed are those like us who have not seen, who don't have proof, certainty, but yet who choose to believe. The Bible says we are blessed, perhaps more blessed. Let's think about some of the people we've read about today, their threshold for believing. John believed, 
Peter half believed, Mary didn't. Thomas finally came to faith. Why should we believe in the resurrection? And the internet's full of evidence while we should. And you can look that up yourself. Many books have been written. The one thing I want to leave us with today are the scriptures. Where verse 30 of this passage says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the record of Scripture written by your apostles whom you had entrusted with this good news. Thank you that these things have been written so that we may believe and by believing have life in your name. Help us not to be overly skeptical. Help us, Lord, to to say no to doubt and yes to faith, to, to stop doubting and to believe. Thank you for the empty tomb, for the gospel accounts, and thank you for the scriptures in the Old Testament that in every book, starting with Moses and going through the prophets, talk about Jesus his ministry, his birth, his death and resurrection. Help us to be people who see in your word all of these glorious things. We don't want to have dull hearts, Lord. Thank you for this glorious day. Help us to enjoy the new life that we have in Christ. And thank you that we too will one day experience the resurrection from the dead. And at that point, we will be able to say, death, where is your sting? Thank you for your invitation, Lord, to live with you forever in a new heaven and in a new earth, in a new body. Lord, what a hope you've given to us. We look to you, our Lord and our God. And all God's people said, Amen.